0: Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to Daniel chapter 1? We're going to begin a three or four week series on discipleship. And the thing about discipleship is disciples, a commitment is required. Okay? If you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, it's going to require that you do something. Okay? If you don't want to be a disciple, that's okay. You don't have to be. But if you're going to be a disciple, there's things that you have to do. Okay. One of the things that we really have to do if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus is we need to share him with other people. Okay. We need to reproduce ourselves. We need to share the love. And so that's one of the ways we're helping you and really wanting to help you be accountable. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you're going to be sharing him with other people. Okay. And so this is a specific way. A lot of times people say, well, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus." Are there specific things that you're doing? Joe was a basketball player. There were specific drills he had to do. There were specific things that he had to do. And so the better he wants to get, the more he needs to practice. And so on a spiritual level, there are spiritual disciplines that you and I need to be a part of. So we're going to be talking about that. One of them is our eye plan. But today I want to talk to you about God first. Daniel chapter 1 in your Bible, if you want to turn there. God had a special relationship with Israel. God entered into a covenant with them and he promised that they would be his people and that he would be their God. God said, I want a relationship with you. Like you're special, you're chosen out. I want a relationship with you, but for me and you to have a relationship, there's going to be some things that I'm going to require of you. There's some blessings that come. And Deuteronomy chapter 8, if you would take you don't have to turn there now, but if you would turn there, you would find that God laid out for Israel a series of blessings and cursings that would be theirs as a result of their relationship. God promised them that because he was in relationship with them, whenever they rebelled against him or turned from his ways, that he would do what was necessary. He would discipline them so that they would come back into right relationship with him. And when they did, he would once again restore the blessings in their lives. The ultimate discipline that God would use for the people of Israel, the ultimate form of correction that he would use upon them would to have Gentile nations invade Israel and subjugate them to their authority and remove them from the land. If you look at the relationship of God with Israel, one of the biggest parts of it, for them to know that they were in God's rightful place, would be them possessing the land. Now, that's as a nation. Like The ultimate thing that would show their rebellion would be God removing them from the land. Okay? And so, if they lost the land, that was a major part of God's discipline in their lives. One of the things that the children of Israel were doing before we get to Daniel was they were neglecting the Sabbath day and they were neglecting the sabbatical year. The prophet Jeremiah wrote about this and I want to give you a little bit of background in Jeremiah chapter 34 verse 13. It says, this is what the Lord God of Israel said. I made a covenant with your ancestors when I brought them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I said, every seventh year, "'Each of you must free any fellow Hebrews who have sold themselves to you. "'After they have served you for six years, you must let them go. "'Your ancestors, however, did not pay attention to me. "'Recently you repented and did what was right in my sight. "'Each of you proclaimed freedom to your own people.'" You even made a covenant before me in the house that bears my name. But now you have turned around and profaned my name. Each of you have taken back the male and female slaves you had set free to go where they wished. You have forced them to become your slaves again. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You have not obeyed me, and you have not proclaimed freedom to your own people. So now I proclaim freedom for you, declares the Lord. Freedom to fall by the sword, plague, and famine. I will make you abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth. One of the things that whenever Nehemiah comes back, I'm 99% sure it was Nehemiah to rebuild the walls, there were people, they wanted to do trade on Saturday, which was the Sabbath. It was a day of rest. And so they would come in, these people who were selling goods, these traders would come in and they would try to come into the city and wait outside the gates of the city to be able to sell their wares. Nehemiah says to him, Nehemiah threatened him with a beating. He said, if you come back again, I'm going to beat you, okay? He would not allow them to go back to doing business on the Sabbath. And God spoke to the people, and he said to them, what had happened was, if I owed Sonny a debt, I owed him money, and so I'm owing Sonny money, and so in turn, I can't pay him. So Sonny says, okay, well, give me your son Landon, and Landon can work for me for the next six years, But on the seventh year, we let him go. The Israelites, whenever they would have land, on the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, I could lease my land. I owe Sonny a big debt. I could lease my land to him. But on the 50th year, it's returned. Now, let me ask you this. Why do you think people wanted to do business on the Sabbath day? And why do you think people wanted to keep others as slaves when God said to let them go? Hebrews, other Hebrews as slaves. Why do you think that was? Greedy, yes. And what did it say about their opinion about God and God's ways of doing things? Someone said, didn't trust, is that what I heard? They did not have faith in God's ways of doing things. They didn't trust. They thought, God, your system is flawed. There's no way I can make enough to support myself on six days of work, I have to work the seventh. God, I'm building this wealth. I'm doing, building my business or my farm. There's no way I can let these people go after six years of working for me. I have to have them. And that was part of God's reason for disciplining the children of Israel. It was really their greed and their lack of trust in him. And Daniel chapter 1, you know they've been carried off into captivity. So let's pick up there. It says in the 3rd year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of God these he carried off to the temple of his god in Babylon and put in that treasure house of his god Now The people rejected God's laws and followed other gods. They rejected God's ways, his teachings. And so as a result, they were overcome by their enemies. It should not be a surprise for them because in Deuteronomy, God said, he promised him this is what's gonna happen. If you turn from me, if you turn from me, you are going to suffer. If you turn from me, other people and other kingdoms are going to come in and rule over you. And so they turned from God and the consequences, they were overcome by their enemies. Nebuchadnezzar captured the city. He subjected the king and he took articles from the temple and carried them back to Babylon and placed them in the storehouse of his God. Why do you think he did that? Some people thought, I always thought he did it for the money. He wanted the gold. That wasn't the reason. What he did is he took the articles of the God of Israel. We've heard all of these mighty exploits about your God. So the king of Babylon comes in, he subjects the king of Israel, he walks into the house of Israel's God, and he takes possession of the house of Israel's God, their treasures. He walked right into God's house and took the treasures that belonged to God and brought them back and put them in the house of his God as a sign to everybody that his God was greater. That his God was stronger. That his God was more powerful. It was a form of psychological warfare. What he was doing is he was mocking them and saying, See how big your God is. I... I have the things that belong to him. So obviously, my God must be bigger than your God. As I said, you've got to understand the psychological warfare and oppression and the way this affected the psyche of the children of Israel, okay? Because they believed in their God. At one point, they did. Now, let's go back to our verses. Verse 3 then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He would teach them the language and literature. Of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Now, an attempt is made to assimilate the Israelites into the culture of their captors. This was to be done through a three-year program of education and indoctrination, a virtual Babylonian brainwashing. They studied the literature and the language of the Chaldean people, including subjects such as astronomy, mathematics, natural history, mythological literature, agriculture, and architecture. These young men were not being trained as soothsayers, but as upper level administrators and advisors. Nevertheless, the purpose of the curriculum was to change the way these young men thought. It was to change their worldview and it was to change their value system. You see, the Babylonians were smart people. What they wanted to do, they didn't want to spend all of their time with soldiers watching over the Israelites. That took too much time, that took too much manpower. What they wanted to do is they wanted to choose from among them leaders. And they wanted to change the way that these leaders thought. And they realized that if they could teach them and indoctrinate them into the Babylonian worldview, the way that the Babylonians thought, the way the Babylonians believed, and then if they could reward them for doing that, then the other children of Israel, the other ones will kind of follow along because these are the leaders. These are the best of our people, as it were. During the three years of training, these selectees were to eat the king's choice food and wine. Perhaps this was meant as a privilege, and no doubt it was regarded as such by most in the program, but there was still another aspect of brainwashing taking place here. With the children of Israel, one of the things I want you to understand was they had been taken from Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been beaten. Their king had been subjected. Their God had been humiliated, okay, in the sense of what they could see because their God's treasures are in the showcase of another God, of the God of the Babylonians. And then they bring them in And what they say to these young men is, now we're going to give you the good life. We believe that there's a place for you in Babylon. We believe that you can be elevated, that you can be successful. These are young men. These are 16, 15, maybe 17-year-old young men, just young guys. They're looking at them and they're saying, we'll give you the king's food. You can have the king's wine. You can eat from the king's table. You can have the best of. We'll have someone who will take care of you. Now, wait a minute. I can choose to identify with Israel and with the people of Israel who have been stomped down and beaten and who don't have anything, who are losing, or there's this temptation to identify with the Babylonians. They're going to give me the best food. I'm going to eat at the king's table. I'm going to walk with leaders of the world. I'm going to be in a position. I'm going to have power. I'm going to have authority. That's pretty powerful. There was someone in Scripture who had that opportunity before, and he rejected that. The New Testament reminds us of him. That Moses, although he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, he chose to identify himself with the people of God and to suffer rather than to enjoy all the pleasures of Pharaoh's house okay he chose to identify himself with God's people there's a real temptation that's coming here to the hebrew children to daniel and shadrach meshach and abednego because it's trying to they're trying to allure them in and ultimately they wanted to change the way that these young men lived First they wanted to change the way they thought, next they wanted to change the way that they lived. You see, the Israelites, because they were God's people, his chosen people, there was something that distinguished them and that was the dietary laws that he had for them. It set them apart because they were special to God. And There were things that they were not to eat, and there were things that they were not to drink, and there were things that they were not to do because they were God's people. It was kind of God's mark upon them. The food that the king was going to offer them did not conform to the requirements of Mosaic law. The fact that it was prepared by Gentiles rendered it unclean. Also, many things forbidden by the law were served on the king's table. So to partake of such food would defile these Jewish youth. That's one of the things that, as being God's people, is one of the things that distinguished them from everybody else. They weren't like everybody else. They were God's chosen people. And we get people who get all worked up because, wow, they couldn't have a ham sandwich. But that was one of the things, that and circumcision. There were certain things that identified them as, you belong to God. You are chosen. You are special. And they wanted to take that away from them. Now, another thing that they had is in Israel, the food would also—excuse me—the food would have also been offered to pagan gods before it was offered to the king. To partake of such food would have been contrary to Exodus thirty-four fifteen, where the Jews were forbidden to eat flesh that had been sacrificed to pagan gods. Another problem would arise in the drinking the wine. To abstain from the Old Testament prohibition. Against strong drink, if you read Proverbs 20, verse 1, and Isaiah five, eleven, the Jews customarily diluted their wine with water. Some added three parts of water to one part of wine. Other added six parts of a water. And some as much as ten parts of water to one part of wine. The Babylonians didn't dilute their wine. So both the food and the drink would have defiled these young men. The third thing they tried to do is they tried to change their identity, okay? They wanted to change who they were. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief gave them new names. He changed their name to Daniel, the name belt Shazar, to Hananiah, Shadrach to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, when these Hebrew children, when they were born, they had, these guys had godly parents who followed Jehovah, all right? Not everybody who was carried off into Babylonian captivity had rebelled against God. There was a remnant who wanted to serve God, wanted to serve Yahweh. For Hananiah, his name means the Lord is gracious. Well, they take that away from him. They give him a new name. They call him Shadrach, which means command of a coup. It's one of their gods. For Mishael, his name meant who is what God is. And they changed his name to Meshach. And it said, who is what a coup is? Huh? They want to take away their identity in God. Azariah, his name meant the Lord has helped. Every time that his parents called him by name, someone called him by name, he understood that the Lord has helped. And they changed that to Abednego, to mean servant of Nebo, to Daniel. His name meant God is my judge. They changed that to Belshazzar. May Balak protect. Do you see what they're trying to do? The chief court official seemed determined to obliterate any testimony to the God of Israel from the Babylonian courts. The names he gave them for men signified that they were to be subject to Babylon's God. Do you see that taking place there? Does that scenario sound familiar to anybody? I think maybe we ought to open up our eyes here in America. That's something I think we need to open up our eyes to here in America, the education system, the idea of taking God out of our culture, of changing the way that people think. And the Babylonians, they understood that we can change, we can change a society if we can take these young people and change the way that they think. It won't take us long. It won't take us long. We'll be able to have them under our thumb, as it were. Now, verse eight, we're gonna pick back up. Uh, But praise the Lord for verse 8. Read it out. What does it say? But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief officials for permission not to defile himself this way. The first line there. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Daniel made up his mind. He made a decision, I'm not going to go that way. Now here's the thing, they're saying, you're an 18-year-old guy. The trophies of your God are in the showcase of the God of Babylon. Your city lies in ruins. Your king has been humiliated. You've been carried off away from your family. Everything looks like you're beaten down and you're here in Babylon. And Babylon's such a beautiful city. It's such a wonderful, the architecture, all of these glorious things, and there's anything that they want there. They're in the metropolitan place of the world. They're moving in New York. They're moving in big money. They're moving in the power circles. And it will be very easy to get sucked into that. Why should I be so stupid? Look, we're being beat. We've been defeated. If you know the old saying, if you can't beat them, join them. And that's what many chose to do. But it says that Daniel resolved and some of us need to resolve some things we need to make up our mind that we're not going to defile ourselves let me go on a little further there now god had caused the official to show favor and compassion to daniel but the official told daniel i'm afraid of my lord the king who's assigned your feud and drink why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age the king would then have my head because of you Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, Please test your servant for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed and he tested them for ten days. This is what Daniel said. Give me 10 days to prove that in spite of the circumstances we are in, in spite of the culture or the world's way of doing things, that God's commands are better, that God's ways are higher, that he will be faithful to me. Just give me 10 days. Now, you notice he submitted himself. He wasn't an arrogant proudful person he was a wise Daniel was a very wise person he approached him in a gracious manner but he said give me 10 days let's see what God will do now we pick back up our text here at the end of the 10 days they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food so the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead to so these four young men, God gave the knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kind. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into a service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked to them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. Notice that the scripture calls them by their rightful name there. You notice that? Who they really are. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times, ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. Did you hear that? They weren't just a little bit better. Whenever it was done, after three years, they were ten times better off than the other people who had gone through that, had done it the world's way. Do you realize, friend, that our world is trying to indoctrinate you and our young people, our teenagers, into its belief system? They want us to take its values, and it wants you to lose Anything that shows you as separate or different. We are not of this world. We are not of this culture. We have a greater kingdom that we are a part of. We have a greater kingdom that we're a part of. There's a greater loyalty that you and I should have to the kingdom of God even than our loyalty to the United States of America even in our current culture where we live, we should have a greater loyalty towards the kingdom of God. Our world is trying to change the way that you think, the way that you believe, and it's little by little, and we don't have time, but we could talk about television and newspapers and the media have a way of influencing people and the way that they believe and what they think. If you'd have told me a few years ago the things that were going to be taking place in America today, and you would tell me the way homosexuality. Well, the Bible just calls it abomination. But they want to promote homosexuality. And I'll tell you what, you are wrong if you say, I hate homosexuals. You're wrong if you are abusive or mean to people. But, you know, we need to be able to say homosexuality is a sin. And if you live that way, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Just like adultery is a sin. And if you live that way, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. But our society wants us to say that those things are okay and those things are acceptable, and they're not. And they never will be with God, okay? So no matter, the culture can go around and say, that's the greatest and the highest things that you can become, okay? And they can say that we're wrong for saying, no, it's a sin. It's not acceptable before God. And if you live that way, you will not have eternal life. You will be separated from God, okay? Just like if you're an adulterer, okay? Okay? Or if you're a fornicator and you choose to live that way. However, even though we say that we can love people and care about them, but we cannot allow the world systems to dominate the way that we think and the way that we act. And that's what the world systems are trying to do. And you and I have to fight against that. We have to make a constant decision that I want to do things God's way. Discipleship really is about putting God first. That's what it's about. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means to follow God. Not follow him and follow the world's plan. Not follow him and follow my own agenda. Not follow him and Buddha. Okay? It's about following him and doing what he asks. There's a portion of scripture in Deuteronomy, we're going back to Deuteronomy, chapter 14, verse 23. And there's a portion of it that says this in the Living Bible. It says that the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. They were trying to change the way that people thought. To change the way their identity. To change the way that they lived. To change the way they believed. It was an all-out assault on that. One of the ways in which we fight against the world system is to do things God's ways. And it may sound odd, but why would the scripture say, in other words, it says, other versions of it says, it teaches you to revere the Lord. That when we tithe, it teaches us to honor God. Part of the reason in Israel that they broke the Sabbath was because They didn't think that God could provide for them. They didn't think God's plans worked. And so they said, well, wait a minute, we got a better plan. What if we have a Sunday sale day, 5% off, bring your coupons. Wait a minute, this person's been our slave. Uh, I don't think I want to let him go. I like what he's producing for me. And so they would go against God's word and his command. At the end of your pew, you'll find a stack of papers. You take one of those. For each of you. And just pass that down. Make sure that the people have them. When you're done. Pass them back the other way. We're talking about discipleship. And so we're going to ask you to do this. This month. If you're not a Christian. You know there were certain. I didn't understand this. I didn't understand that there were certain laws. That applied to the Israelites. And the other people didn't have to do some of those things. You know what I mean? I was like oh well. No. When you look at Israel's history. There were certain things that applied to them. As a follower of Jesus, we understand that he's our Lord, okay? If you're not a Christian, then please, I probably wouldn't do it. Wouldn't if I'm not a follower of Jesus, I probably wouldn't. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're a disciple and you want to learn how to put him first in other areas of your life, then one of the ways that we do that is we break the power, the thoughts of this world. This world says, this world has ways of doing things. And God's kingdom is upside. Someone said it in prayer time. God's kingdom is upside down. If you want to be first, you got to be last. Huh? Doesn't make sense. Don't take vengeance. I want to take vengeance. I like vengeance. God says, make room for my vengeance. Huh? There's a lot of things that God's kingdom says. It says, if you want to be the greatest, if you want to be the greatest, you got to be a servant. Wow, that the greatest in the kingdom is going to be the one who's humble and who's a servant. Opposite of what the world says as a help. This is really for you, because what I can share with you, the testimony, ready? I'm going to share with you just a brief testimony and then we'll finish. Can I just be honest with you? There's certain things. If you don't do it, it's going to be hard. It's going to become a hindrance to your growth. Okay, and we're willing to do this for you. We're willing to say to you, a lot of people say, Pastor, I don't have the resources to do it. We're willing to say to you, this is what we want to encourage you to do, to show we believe so much in this. We're saying to you, will you make a commitment for 40 days that everything that comes into your home, I'm going to ask you to be serious about it. If you get a $20 gift card, then you give $2 of that. So you're going to honor God. God, I'm honoring you. I'm going to give that. I'm going to trust you. For 40 days. And at the end of 40 days, if God has not proven himself to be faithful, we'll write you a check for everything that you gave back, okay? I just believe with all my heart, I believe with all of my heart, whenever you choose to do things God's way. It seems so stupid. I got all this good food here. It seems so easy. The culture says you can have what you want, don't wait. Nothing like that. And yet God's ways, God's ways seem contrary to what our society says. His ways are different. His ways are higher. And so what we're going to ask you to do is this. We're going to ask you, if you don't tithe, if you've never taken that step, we want to give you a safe place to do that. So after 40 days, if it hasn't worked, you you don't have to talk to me. You can talk to Karen. You can say, Karen, that didn't work for me. But can I tell you what? I believe with all my heart. I believe that when we're done, those who put God first, after that 40 days, I bet you'll find yourself in a better place financially than what you are now. I bet you'll find that the children with Daniel, they were 10 times brighter, sharper. When they looked at them after the, at the end of three years, at the end of the days, I have some people in the church who I know that they came and talked to me about tithing, and I've seen the way God has prospered them. And they've said to me, Pastor, I made this amount of money this year. I mean, it's so much more than what they made before. But I am so glad that they talked to me that day and said, talk to me about this tithing. Why? Because if you you don't honor God, if there's an area of my life that I don't honor God in, then I don't leave room, I don't let him in that part of my life. Okay? I say, no, you stay out of that part of my life. You stay out of my relationships. You stay out of my marriage you stay out of my money. I don't want you in my money. I don't want you in my marriage. I don't want you in my relationships. How does that go whenever you don't let God in those areas? It's hard. Yeah. So that's what we're going to ask you to do. If you are, you can read this, tear this in half, boom. You can fold it up and the ushers will have two plates back there. We want to encourage you to take that challenge. You just say, I'm going to make a commitment for the next 40 days as a part of my discipleship, a part of following Jesus. I'm going to The next 40 days, I'm going to give 10% of my income to the work of the Lord. And I'd like to encourage you, those of you who take that step, maybe some of you have been doing it, you know, you'd have been doing it in the past, or maybe you've only been doing partial. Can I encourage you to take that step of faith? And then throughout the weeks, we're going to have testimonies. I want to give you, if there's a testimony that you want to give, it gives you a reason why did you decide to do the 40-day tithing challenge. Would you take a moment and fill that out? And then before you leave, the ushers will be back there, and you can give those to them. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and for your provision for your people. Lord, thank you for the example of Daniel. And I pray, God, that we would live out before the world around us the love of God and the grace of God. I pray, God, that we would resolve in our hearts to not defile ourselves with the world's way of thinking, with the world's systems or their ways of doing it, or with a lack of faith. But let us resolve in our hearts, God, that I want to do things your way. And I want to see, God, I want to be able you know, friends, I want to be able to see in you whenever people look at you, that you're 10 times better off, that you're healthier and stronger, just like Daniel was healthier and stronger and looked better than the others. God, I pray that in every area of our life as we obey you, that we would look better than the rest of the world around us, that we'd be further ahead because we've chosen to honor you. And we praise this in Jesus' name, amen.